This is Talk is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Good evening, Mr. Stelter. How's it going, buddy? Pretty good. I'm I'm energized, dude. Like, we just had an epic freaking weekend at the Jurassic Classic in freaking Chilliwack. And uh, I'll tell you, that, that was my... I know, like we all have our intro to the society, right? And I think was yours one of the trade shows, or was it? I guess it was Kamloops, but for me it was Kamloops. Jurassic, and it was like hook, line, and sinker. Man, my cheek was sucked right over, and I was, I was out for the count. I'm like, oh man, I got to do this. And every year we just get more dialed, and we just have more fun. Uh, we even did a podcast on it, and, and it was the only thing that sucked about it is my co-host wasn't there. But uh, we had a great podcast; it was a lot of fun. We had uh, it was pretty cool. Trev Trev's been on the podcast a couple times, but we had uh, Colin and uh, James Mitten, so our director Colin Peters and James Mitten, and it was just a fun co- podcast. We we're sitting around, had the headsets on in person, and we had a couple beers. It was epic. Loved it. Oh, and you guys recorded that right basically on the water while everybody was out fishing and you guys were just kind of waiting for them to come back, didn't you? Yeah, we weren't really waiting. We were actually, quote, working. And and truth be told, we were working pretty hard. But I'm like, we're carving this hour out. I felt a bit bad. I was kind of like, hey, Rebecca, can you grab me a beer? There was a wasp flew in my beard. Uh, She was kind enough to indulge me. But uh, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, it was just great. And uh, have you listened to it yet? I haven't. No, I haven't had a chance. Yeah, so it's fun. It's on the Fraser and... It was a bit windy. I was a little bit worried about the audio quality, but I think it came out okay. But it was just, it's cool to hear the noise of the boats in the background. And um, yeah, it's such a special place. That's where we have the wild meat barbecue. And it's uh, it's one of the highlights of the weekend other than the fishing, but uh, just a great time and really enjoy it. Island 22 in Chilliwack. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's quite the event. And if you can swing getting a boat and getting out to, or I should say getting a boat, but being able to get a boat in auction to buy a team, uh, man. That's that's got to be something on your bucket list is the Jurassic Classic, between the the banquet nights and the fishing and all the people and everyone's buzzing all the time. So it's got to got to do it. Got to make it happen. Well, I think that's. I feel like it's almost like um, you know, there's the this uh, there's a lot of wild sheep leaders in that room, right? You know, we get chapter and affiliate leaders across the network. Gray Thornton's uh, usually there. Gray and Gray and Renee couldn't make it this year. They had a family thing going on. But uh, they're back next year. And uh, just all these. So Wayne Henderson, retired off the board of directors. Brett Jefferson, former chair of the board of the Wild Sheep Foundation. Larry Jacobs, uh, current secretary of the Wild Sheep Foundation. And then chapter and affiliates right across the network uh, having people there. And it's just a fun weekend. And, you know, we talk lots about wild sheep conservation lots of beers. And it's just the right vibe. It's kind of like Sheep Week. I guess oh, I want to say on steroids, but the inverse of that, it's just, it's low key and you get to connect with people. You get, you get to know people. It's more of a, you know, don't take this the wrong way, but more of an intimate experience. You get to really know people and it's, you know, that's my kind of knock on sheep week. It's just like, oh, I just, I wish I had more time for these people that I love being around and Jurassic kind of gives you that, but it's just a great weekend. And you talk about demand. Yeah. It's like, We've got we 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 get a sign up list every year and every we only have so many slots because we sell a bunch at live auction, and yeah, this year the list is longer. It's like we have, I think we had twenty eight teams and we got twenty three names on that list or something like that, and people requesting extra teams. So it's great to see the demand keeps growing, but it is such a great event and such a fun time for everybody. 
Oh, yeah, it's the uh, social media questions we were getting through comms were, how do we get to go? Can I come? It's like, well, unfortunately, the best bet you have is getting off that wallet in an auction and throwing your money at it because it's, it's almost impossible to get a boat unless you're willing to to put the money out and all that money goes right back to the ground. That's the beautiful thing. You get to have a great time fishing with some great people, get some great connections and that all those funds go right back into the ground for wild sheep conservation. Yeah, for sure, Greg. And the cool thing too, is that we auction these teams off at other chapter and affiliates and wild sheep foundation proper. And uh, they're making money off these teams as well. So they're, they're raising money for wild sheep in their jurisdiction. So, uh, Midwest Wild Sheep Foundation has a team, a bunch of SCI chapters, Dallas Safari Club. Uh, they have a couple, they get a team every year. They want another one this year. Uh, of course, the foundation themselves and all those teams get sold and they raise money to support conservation locally at that level as well. So, you know, it, it's a huge fundraiser for BC's Wild Sheep, but it doesn't just help BC's Wild Sheep. It helps other jurisdictions as well. And that's kind of the heart of Jurassic is collaboration. Such a cool vibe. Yeah, we uh, we dropped some big raffles rolling into Jurassic too this weekend. One of them is uh, something to behold if you haven't seen it yet too. The the Danny Strong one. Oh man, uh, I introduced this at Jurassic and uh, I teared up, buddy. I uh, I started getting a little emotional and I had to do a little bit of uh, Pilates breathing or whatever the heck it was. And some deep breaths there and. One of the guys was giving me a bit of a hard time afterwards. Like, I've never seen you get emotional. I'm like, well, I held it together. But, uh, uh, you know, we talk about our wild sheep family, and it truly is a family. And we've seen that true to its form. Uh, Dennis and Teresa Cabana, they volunteer every year at our light, at the Jurassic Classic. And they're, they're you know, stalwart at everything that we do there at, you know, Kamloops and all our different events. And um, Dennis and Teresa are just really, really good people. They Their young daughter, Danielle, tragically passed away this winter and i got a text from dennis uh one cold winter night and i was just uh absolutely gobsmacked i just uh speechless i just can't imagine what that family has gone through to lose and the here's the thing danielle was danny is how she was referred to was um Dennis's little hunting partner, you know, go and check out Dennis's Instagram and social media. And there's pictures of Danny out there with them hunting and uh, on the water. Um, she she actually fished sturgeon before with them and uh, just really into the outdoors. And um, so losing her, you know, felt like you lost your own child almost, although I, I can't pretend to imagine what that was like for Dennis and Teresa. Uh, one of our, our members stepped up, Nolan Wanup. He's uh, one of our, our monarchs and just a, a, somebody that believes in the cause, believes in the mission, and believes in our wild sheep family. And he said, we're doing something for them. He went out, raised a bunch of um, donations that we put towards this raffle. And um, this raffle package is worth over $32,000. And it is the bee's knees when it comes to mountain hunting. Um, it's got a Nexus rifle from Gunworks on there. Now, uh, Nolan went to Omer. Omer, of course, Precision Optics stepped up and donated a bunch of stuff uh, at cost or better. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what that worked out to be. But again, uh, Omer's playing his role. And we rolled this up into a fantastic prize package. So here's what we're going to do is there's $100,000 in tickets. If we, we've sold roughly 25,000 and we've already issued a monarch 
platinum membership in Danny's name. And what the goal was for Nolan was to memorialize or have a legacy for Danny that will live on forever. Her name will always be on that monarch list. As long as the Wild Sheep Society of BC exists, her name will be in the headline lines. Uh, it'll be a legacy for her. And what we want to really do is make sure that money would ideally support uh, young women to get involved in hunting and the outdoor community and conservation. So uh, this raffle package is unbelievable, as you mentioned. Uh, Nolan's vision was the best of the best. I want the best tent. I want the best rifle. I want the best gear. And it's got everything. You get that. You don't need anything. You've got gators. You've got boots. You've got backpacks, kafaro pack. Um, the it just goes on optics. What do we? we've got? Leica binos, range finding binos. We got uh, the Leica uh, spotter, and the list goes on and on and on. Thirty two thousand in prizes, and somebody's going to walk home a very, very, very pleased person. But really, the key takeaway here is we've done something incredibly special for some for people that are part of our family, and it's going to uh, it's a legacy for Danny that will her name will ever forever be remembered and if we sell out which i'm hoping we will if we hit a hundred thousand in sales we're going to create a new monarch level and if we create that new monarch level danny will be number one on that list and she'll will be always be at the top of our monarch list for well i that said if somebody steps up tomorrow with a hundred thousand dollar donation it might not work no she will be number one on that list we do have to hit that hundred thousand dollars in sales though um, because this money for our monarch program goes back to our conservation efforts. And one of the things that we point out is that the money doesn't go to the Cabana family. Um, this money is going to go to a monarch membership, and that monarch membership, as we know, when you buy a monarch membership, uh, the person that donates that money gets to direct it. So uh, Dennis and Teresa will decide where that money goes, but Danny will be issued that monarch membership, hopefully at that $100,000 level. Pretty cool program, and it just shows how much our family cares. Yeah, and just to speak on that raffle package a little bit, Instagram wouldn't even let me post everything that's on that you can win. There was too much. There's not enough word space to tell you exactly what's on that package. And that raffle is going to be drawn November 4th at the Moon Brewery and Pub in Victoria. So make sure you get your tickets. They're going to go quick. I, I, I'm assuming a sellout within well before November 4th. So don't sleep on this one, folks. Yeah, well said. I think it will too. And we've had incredible support so far. And um, yeah, just phenomenal package and still a little bit challenging for me to talk about. And I can't imagine what Dennis and Teresa, you know, the emotional journey that they go through with all this, but just an incredible opportunity to to, uh, have a legacy for that young lady. So Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It's, It's powerful. We also dropped a, another raffle that last, this weekend as well, the Jurassic Classic Rifle Raffle, and that's a Sacco Steiner package. Yeah, very cool setup. So we've had either Sacco or, or Tika. It's, there's been two of them step up over the years, and then Steiner. And basically, they put together this cool package. Um, it's valued at right around $6,000. And um, it's uh, this one's in 6.5 Creedmoor, a beautiful... Um, it's the it's the new Sacco 90 Adventure, and this is the first one in Canada that's being auctioned. You, they're really hard to get. Just try and get one. You can't get one, and we're going to raffle this thing off. So really hard to get a hold of, and just 
cool. This is a cool thing where we get industry. We've got a gun manufacturer and optics manufacturer stepping up to donate to support conservation efforts in British Columbia. Um, all the proceeds, and this is a hundred percent donation. So let's sell this thing out because a hundred percent of the proceeds will go to wild sheep conservation. And we've earmarked this every year for the Fraser river test and remove project because Jurassic's heavily vested in that. So this is a cool opportunity. Um, and just incredible support again from Sacco and Steiner to be part of this. Uh, full donation on that entire package and and doing great work for wild sheep conservation. So both these are on our website and um, uh, I guess in the, we'll put this in the show notes as well. You can go over to Durrell, uh, Durrell.com is the website and we'll give you links to both those raffles and um, yeah, just a great opportunity to support wild sheep. And if you got a few bucks, it's, you know, tickets are 25 or 50 bucks. It costs you nothing. You get a great opportunity to support what we're doing. Uh, great opportunity to win. And, you know, what better opportunity to support conservation efforts in BC? Because those go into our gaming account, and the gaming account supports our conservation efforts. Really cool. Yeah, exactly. And that that rifle is also November 4th draw. So jump on that. There's only 800 tickets at 25 bucks a piece. So, yeah. And with that, Kyle, what do you say? We roll into this good chat with Chef Jade Berg and you know, grab your notepad and pen and write down some recipes that you're not going to want to miss. This guy is insane, man. He's so energetic. Like it, he's like me around conservation. <laughs> when, except he's interesting and and a nice guy and fun to listen to. Um, so okay, I'm a bad example, but he's like so stoked about wild meat and cooking and and or wild food and cooking. It's not even meat, right? He's I, I just listen to him. I get fired up and I'm like, I'm so horrible when it comes to like, be like a hunter gatherer. Like I can kill some stuff once in a while, but uh, certainly like scavenging stuff and just listening to the stuff. Like he was talking, I was listening to a podcast he did. He was talking about what are those stinging nettles or what's that? What do they call that stuff? Uh, and he, yeah, yeah, I think that's and he's cook, he cooks with that crap. I'm like, that stuff kills you, man. Like, you get that stuff on your face, your hands, and you're scratching for a week, and he cooks with it. I'm like, my goodness. So, <laughs> I, I love listening to the guy, he's so energetic, enthusiastic, and he does not disappoint. And I'm serious, we got to get him up to Penticton, um, get him on the stage, get him some wild meat, and get him like a cooking station. Oh man, that would be epic, man. Yeah, no, it'd be incredible. And that man is a uh, one heck of an ambassador for the hunting community, and he. He's been on one campfire. He preaches one campfire and even listen to the podcast and find out how I use one campfire to change some minds. Awesome. Right on, buddy. It's going to be a good one. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Precision Optics. Thank you, Sitka Gear and Precision Optics for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. <laughs> Mr. Jade Berg coming in hot from Campbell River, British Columbia. Is is that where you're at right now? Or where you at, buddy? Yeah, I'm in Campbell River right now. You know, it's kind of tough to nail down where I am at any given time. But uh, for the next week or so, I'm in Campbell River before I'm off to Alberta. Awesome. So I see a big, fat black bear. And that's that's one of the nicest rugs I've seen in a long time. That thing's stunning. Where's that from? That is from uh, Vancouver Island. So that was the first bear that, uh, the b- first big game animal um, I got uh, when my son would have been three years old. He's now turning eight. Um, so, you know, I had no success with deer and, you know, ended up, well, why don't I take a look at this alternative species? There's a spring hunt on the island. And yeah, that was the, the first first animal I got. So wanted to make sure that I could, uh, 
you know, keep it around for a lot of years, keep the memory and eventually pass that on to my son. And, you know, I don't do many uh, mounts, but I, that was one that was pretty special to me. What did he uh, do from tip to tail? How big is he? Cause it looks like a pretty good size bear. He's a uh, fat one for sure. Tip to tail. Wow. That's a good one. North Island, South Island. We need coordinates. What cut block were you on, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that, you, you, you know, we could share that, but I don't know if you guys would be around tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but no, it was, uh, I think mid Island. Well, you know, probably about 45 minutes from uh, Campbell river. And I got him in the same cut block that I got that big black tail, uh, behind me there last year who scored nice. 93, which was just insane. You know, same cut block, you know, son was with me again. Um, and one of those cool experiences, uh, we've seen that deer years in a row. And, uh, you know, it was always first light, uh, a little too dark to see him or last light. Um, and, you know, just ended up making the, the right timing and that, you know, little sweet spot that we have on a really, really uh, windy, windy day. So. Well, it sounds like that's a honey hole. So I either want the honey hole or I'm taking your son hunting with me. One of the two. I'm not sure which He's one. good luck. He's good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, so for our listeners, uh, you know, a lot of people know who you are, but uh, kind of give us a rundown of, you know, your day job, where you come from and, and who Jade Berg is. Yeah, so I guess my name is Jade Berg. I'm a private chef uh, currently based out of Campbell River, B.C., um, here on Vancouver Island, um, grew up, uh, between, you know, born in Saskatoon, moved to Calgary, um, or South of Calgary, a little town called High River. Uh, and then ended up, you know, in 2008 after graduating, I really wanted to pursue this dream of mine to become a chef, you know, not realizing at that point that the dream that I was pursuing meant I'd be underpaid and overworked for the rest of my life. But, <laughs> um, so I moved to Vancouver, I moved to the West coast and, uh, yeah, I started apprenticing at different restaurants, um, and eventually I really wanted to start getting out of the big city, you know, after seven years or so of being there. It was a cool experience when I moved there, the big city lights coming from a small town kid, but I was missing, you know, connection in a lot of areas of my life. Um, so I ended up, yeah, moving out to, at that point, Powell River, where I met my spouse, and we did one more quick stint in Vancouver before we decided to settle in Campbell River, and then that led me to, yeah, to, you know, opening a private chef business and really wanting to feel the connection to the guests at that point it was. I didn't want to be behind the scenes anymore. I wanted to be able to interact and get to know the people that I was cooking for, um, be able to tell the stories that I like to tell. And then that uh, led to me really starting to crave connection to the food that I was serving. Um, and that led to trying to you know, understand, you know, more about how this food was sourced, uh, you know, going out and, and learning how to catch fish again. I hadn't done that since I was a kid. Um, learning in, in how to go out and forage and then it eventually blossomed into learning how to hunt. Um, you know, 26 years, 27 years old when I first started hunting. So came to hunting quite late in life. And uh, yeah, I've, I've absolutely fallen in love, you know, with uh, waking up early, getting out to the middle of nowhere and watching the forest wake up around us there's a certain really special moment of the day where there's that stillness and you kind of feel like you know you're actually a part of nature you're not just passing through um and yeah so I, I do a lot of focusing on you know foraging teaching people how to forage I did a Disney show a couple of years ago called uh, Chef versus Wild same producers of Alone which was a really cool experience and that kind of allowed me to expand upon what I was already doing and now try to inspire people on a larger scale how to find that connection to the land, to the food that we eat, and uh, ultimately reconnecting with ourselves. 
Wow, there's a lot of connection theme there, and it's connection to the food, connection to the people, and uh, I think that's really cool. I want to explore that definitely in in full in a bit, but um, let's back the train up here and talk a little bit about, um, from what I understand is that, you know, at, at six years old, you were in the kitchen and they couldn't pry you out of there, so... What what developed that strong connection, first of all, and we'll talk about to the kitchen first, and then we'll talk about to wildlife later, but what developed that? Was it the influence from your family? Was it TV? Where did that come from, that motivation? Yeah, you know, I'd say a little bit of both. Um, you know, grandma was always in the kitchen cooking. On my dad's side, you know, it was like the big family meals. Everybody got together around the table, and, you know, I guess what I didn't realize I was picking up on at the time was that food was bringing people together. Um, and then, you know, as well as my mom, my mom was always trying new recipes, trying new things. Uh, my grandmother on my mom's side as well, um, always cooking, you know, we'd have the big fish fry up at the lake and get everybody together. And so I, I kind of just wanted to, I, I, I guess, share a part of myself with others. Like at that point in my life, I think I just wanted to impress them. I, I wanted to take that, you know, that little fish that I'd caught and I wanted to take it and turn it into something that they enjoyed eating, um, so uh, that, and then, you know, I started skipping school, um, uh, pretending I was sick. Don't tell my kids, but uh, pretending I was sick to sit at home and watch the Food Network when the Food Network first came out and watching a show called License to Grill and watching this guy just, you know, slang some really cool food off of his barbecue. And I thought, wow, that's just so cool that he can take this, you know, raw product and turn it into something that's delicious that gets people excited. Very cool. Now, one of the things that you just mentioned was um, food bringing people together. And we know that, you know, as hunter-gatherers, that's been going on for eternity, right? We, you know, that's always been the case. But um feel like there's kind of been an erosion of that. And we look at, you know, the drive-through at McDonald's, for example, or da- DoorDash or that sort of stuff. Are, are we sort of kind of losing that? Like culturally, we used to, like hunter-gatherers, right? You'd, you'd all gather around the campfire at night and, and food, absolutely, that was the core of the campfire and and, you know, that's where our one campfire concept came from, which you've done a really cool uh, series with us on that. But are we kind of losing that in this modern generation? Are you seeing more of a connection, more of a disconnect? What does that look like to you? Well, you know, it's funny because what I like to say is in a society nowadays where we are more connected than ever, we've got a device in our hand where we could talk to someone across the planet. Um, we are so disconnected from the food and what we eat. You know, and I think you hit the nail right on the head when it comes to DoorDash or Skip the Dishes. You press a button and food magically appears at your door. You know, there there's no sense of community. There's no sense of, you know, working to get that food. You, you, you press a button and it shows up. So in, in turn, in my opinion, you know, we end up trying to uh, or we end up wasting more. We end up uh, not caring about that food because we don't really understand the work that went into it. When we were, you know, hunter-gatherers gathering around that fire, your your sole purpose was to go out and, you know, gather or go out and hunt. And, you know, that kept you alive. Where now, you don't have to work hard to, uh, to have that food in your fridge. And, you know, it, it just leads to more people not really understanding what they're wasting when, you know, they, they throw the rest of that dinner in the trash versus trying to repurpose it the next day. So yeah, again, to sum it all up, we're so connected to each other in a way that we've never dreamed possible in terms of technology, but we're so disconnected to that food and and what it provides for us. Do you find that uh, the connection to the food is kind of what drove you into the hunting and space? 
Absolutely. You know, I, I was sick and tired of looking at these pile of boxes show up to the restaurant. You know, I, I, at that point would put my orders in on a laptop. I wouldn't even have to talk to a person. I just click some boxes on a laptop and then the next day food would show up. The delivery driver would drop them before we open. So the food would already be, you know, set in the cooler. And it was just like, well, who is this food coming from? Who's growing this food? Who, you know, what, what's the process of that? Like growing up in High River, especially like a farming community, you saw the lamb slaughter in the spring, you know, you helped with the branding and, and stuff in the, in the spring as well during calving season. So it's, it's very different when all of a sudden all this food just, just shows up. Um, and I kind of got to a point where I, I needed to be able to tell a story. Um, I couldn't tell a story about the food showing up from a big box distributor and just landing in my kitchen. There was nothing to romance at that point. Yeah, absolutely. It bring, brings you out there, connects with the animals, connects with the land. Like it's, it's something to behold. Uh, when you're saying that, you know, you shot your black bear fairly late in life. Was it uh, the was that the driving force too? Was connecting to your food when you went out for your first black bear hunt? Was that that was all part of the game for you? Yeah, no, it was it was really a big part of the game. Was just really trying to you know at that point I was going through you know a life changing you know back injury. I was thinking about you know changing careers, and I realized that I never had a hobby. You know, I, my hobby was work, and you know there was no other hobbies in my life. Um, nothing else to to really spark that fire inside of my soul, I guess you could say. So, you know, I, I st had started really moving towards buying my food from local farmers, going and seeing the pigs going and seeing the, the cows and, you know, having that connection to the food. But I really wanted to take it one step further. And I thought, you know, if I'm eating all this meat, I need to be able to take part in the process. Um, you know, and, and that was a big thing for me is Am I going to, you know, lose that way of life that my grandparents and great grandparents had where, you know, they were able to be self-sufficient. They were able to, you know, have an animal, take that from a living, breathing animal into meat that was cut and wrapped in the fridge that sustained their family. So going out and, and pursuing that animal was, was ultimately, I knew that uh, I hadn't been successful with deer. I really wanted to have some red meat in the, the freezer and started looking at, you know, your recovery. When I talked to other hunters, how much meat they're recovering off of a black bear. Well, it's pretty good bang for your buck, actually. If you, you know, can get a, a bear in the freezer, you've, you've got a lot of meat and a lot of things to, to cook with it. So that was really, if I could find a way to get a large amount of protein and start teaching myself how to cook a protein that I'd never worked with before, um, all while, you know, learning how to be reconnected to myself while I was going through this kind of, you know, I guess you could say midlife crisis with a career change looming and, and everything, but I could find that connection to myself and I could kind of center myself while being out there in nature. And if I could do that while also feeding the family, it was a win-win for me. Absolutely. Yeah. I find black bears very underrated and oh. the public eye kind of turns, turns their nose to it. It's like, well, that's, it's delicious. I go after them every year. It's funny because even a lot that, of hunters I talk to have that same, oh, no, I would never, never eat one of those, you know, stinky black bears. They're gamey. They're this. And for me, it all it all works down to, to care in the field and, you know, animal selection. If you're going to be, you know, finding a bear along a creek that's been, you know, eating a pile of rotten fish, well, you're probably not going to have the same experience as a bear up high in the alpine that's eating blueberries and is like main, mainly an omnivore. So it's it's really, you know, 
just like when you look at a farm animal, you, you look at how it was raised, how it was treated, what it's eating, and that's going to determine how it tastes. So it's, and then how it's cared for after the kill is, is going to be a huge thing. And a lot of people, you know, don't really put as much care into a bear as maybe they should. Maybe that's just me, you know, making that assumption. I think a lot of people do, but I think these hunters that have tried it and gone, oh no, that's not for me. Maybe they haven't tried it, you know, in the way that it should be prepared or the way that it should be cared for. Well, now you're, now you're enticing me when you say should be prepared. What's uh, What do you got for us on the little black bear sneak peek recipe for us? Oh, well, you know, one that's easy to do, which I like to do uh, is, is, you know, easy is kind of what I consider easy, but um, I like to cure the ham, um, which is which is great. Cure the back leg. Uh, you can do a wet brine. Uh, you basically weigh, weigh the meat. And then weigh all your ingredients that go into the brine, um, cure it. I, I do about a 12-day cure, and I'll inject the brine all throughout. And then I'll smoke it low and slow, just like you would a pork leg. Um, delicious, absolutely delicious. It's a very hands-off recipe in, in terms of, you know, you let it sit in a brine, and then you put it in a smoker. It's not that labor-intensive, but it's it's second to none. That or, you know, my favorite is still, it's always going to be summer sausage or uh, osaberco, like, you know, the, the shanks cut uh, into osabuco and a quick braise. That's an easy campfire one that I like to do. So, you know, out in the bush, you've got the, the shanks and you've already cut them into medallions and you uh, you basically kiss them in the pan on each side, get a nice, nice sear and, you know, add a little bit of liquid, some aromatics and put the lid on and let it sit over the coals while you go and, uh, you know, get the rest of your camp going. And by the, the time you get around to evening, you've got a beautiful fall off the bone uh, bear meat. What are you putting in the osbuco? So basically, we're, we're going to sear that on each side, a little bit of salt and pepper on it. Um, and I like to get a heavy sear to get some of the caramelization in the meat, some of those natural flavors building up. Um, and then I remove that meat and I put uh, onions, celery, carrots in the pan. Same thing. Try to get a little bit of color. Um, if I have a tomato, great. If I have tomato paste, great. Not necessary, though. Um, you know, a lot of these times when I go into a camp, I'll bring my veg all diced up, ready to go. So it's not a, a big production. You know, I've got a, a Ziploc bag of onions diced, a Ziploc bag of celery diced, and, you know, it makes it quick and easy. So once your veggies are, are most of the way cooked, we're going to splash a little glug of red wine, which I've always got in camp. But if you don't have red wine, use a splash of coffee. Everyone's got coffee in camp. Um, and then a little bit of stock. Like you could make it as simple as having some bouillon cubes with you. So that's a nice, easy, you know, mix it with a little water. You want to cover it to almost uh, covering the, uh, the, the shanks that are cut. And then put the lid on low and slow. Um, and you're, you're going to have a tender, really tender fall off the bone. On the side, you could do anything, you know. You could have a little bit of cornmeal that's in a bag. Again, that's super light. You're not, you know, you're not packing around a bunch of, of, of heavy stuff. That and a little bit of that stock, cook that down and shred a little cheese in there. You've got, uh, you know, osabuco with polenta. It's beautiful. Sounds like I need to figure out how to get into my hunting camp. Yeah, well, yeah, we were talking earlier about, you know, doing a Texada hunt. Well, I could always come and join you sometime and we could cook some good food. No, we've got, uh, we don't have quite as many black bears as you do, but we have a good population up here. So Right on. We can make, maybe make that happen one day. That'd be fun. So do you ever bring game into your, your business? You know, I, for people, I, you tell in the story. terms of, I can't serve game, um, obviously. 
Uh, that's something that, you know, there is a, the occasional hunter who will hire me and he'll supply, you know, oh, I've got this elk meat. Do you know how to cook it? And in that case, I can say, yeah, I'll cook your, your meat for you. Um, but one thing I'd like to do more and the goal when I started wild owl cooking uh, before I realized how busy I was going to be over this last year and a half um, was that I would go and teach hunters how to utilize their harvest a little bit more. Um, because I know a lot of guys on the island, especially, you know, I'll talk to them and a beautiful deer and the whole deer turns into pepperoni sticks and it just, it rips a piece of my soul out. Uh, I'm like, Oh no. And me and my son are sitting there, you know, making a French venison rack with my deer last year. And then, you know, the one guy's got a freezer full of three deer with, uh, they're all pepperoni, um, which isn't a bad thing. If that's what you want to do with your meat, that's your harvest. I'm not judging you. But if I, there's a lot of desire when I talk to those hunters going, well, I just don't know what else to do with it. So, you know, I think where I'm aiming now would be to eventually produce a series of videos that can give people these little tips because, you know, ultimately I'm only one person and, and the amount of time, you know, where I spend now traveling around cooking for clients is, is you know, f super overwhelming. But if I can produce a series of videos that give people that confidence to, you know, take an animal that they maybe would have just taken all of the grinder and like, let's teach them one cut. Let's teach them how to take the flat iron out or let's teach them how to, to do a French track and, and, you know, cook that. And we have, you know, four or five videos on Nadir, four or five videos on a bear and try and develop that confidence. That's one area that I can see, you know, building into the business eventually. Um, because then it allows me to reach all of those people that I'd love to be able to spend that one-on-one -on -one time with, uh, but, you know, in a more sustainable manner in terms of business. Yeah, right on. Where do we find the Wild Isle? Where... So Wild Isle Cooking, you go to my website, um, www.wildislecooking.com. It's still a bit of a uh, work in progress. Like it's got a landing page and some of the stuff that I do on there. Um, and, you know, on Instagram as well, under chef underscore jade underscore berg. Um, so there I, I do now, I post a lot of, you know, the current events that I'm doing, but then when it comes to hunting season and the, the page transitions naturally more into the hunt um, and, and into what we do with that. Um, and then there's recipes that I've got, uh, you know, some of them are up with one campfire. I know some of the stuff, if you look through one campfire, um, there are some videos of us doing some foraging and doing some cooking. And, you know, I think that's something we'd like to do more of um, me and Jesse uh, with filter studios there and just be able to kind of share. What do you do with your harvest when you're done? Or what do you do with your fish when you catch it? Yeah, those would be uh, some excellent how-to clips for people. I know I'm always looking for new recipes in the bush, so yeah, I would love to. I'd love to see you guys dig into that a bit. Right on. But uh, you know, you mentioned your your social media, your Instagram, and I noticed something on Instagram today was you had a, an experience with some whales today. Yeah, that was a big wow. Um, I was actually down on the beach on the or not on the beach on the pier in Campbell River here. And I was on the phone. I figure what a great place to have my coffee in the morning and have a bit of a phone meeting. Um, and, you know, look over and I see people looking with binoculars and there's a couple orcas in the distance. Oh, maybe I'll hang around here. Well, you know, the whole, you know, massive pot of orcas decided to come right through and come under the pier and you know, the, the, the images and the videos that I shared didn't do it justice to really how many orcas there were. Um, it was a really cool experience seeing them swim right under the pier. And, you know, it, it was, a, yeah, one of those things where I've seen them out on the water countless times, but it never gets old. That experience never, ever, you know, does it become mundane for me. Well, it's, uh, they're a humbling, humbling animal at all. 
anything in the water that big is it reminds you how small you truly are right oh absolutely yeah some of those big males like i i couldn't believe the size especially the ones that were swimming right under the dock you know five feet under the surface it was uh it was really cool to see that's awesome it's a good place to enjoy your coffee yeah that's for sure i picked the right spot for the morning coffee but uh the question is though jade how do you serve those orcas what do you put with them when you serve them and no, well, we'd have to talk to some of my Japanese friends. We might get some answers out of them. <laughs> oh, goodness. Just joking, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we're going to want to be careful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on a serious... Uh, oh. Sorry, Greg. On a serious note, though, um, I just ended up getting a, a, a thinhorn sheep. We are up dull sheep hunting, and I brought some back, no. and I'm like... So what's what's my best bet? I've got a bunch of uh, back straps that I need to cook up here. What do you kind of? What's my best? And I've also got a Traeger. So what's my? And I know you you deal mostly with or you like open fire, but what's my best bet? He's, that's that's tough because it's funny. I've never tasted uh, sheep or you know goat before, like wild. Um, so that's that's it's on the bucket list, really high of things that I'd like to cook with or things that I'd like to experience, but. You know, I, I like to see the parallels in things and, you know, the parallel being in a kitchen, if I had, you know, sheep or goat or something similar to deal with, I always lean towards a curry of some sorts. You know, it's it's a really nice and easy and we can take some of those tougher cuts, especially along the leg muscles um, or, or, you know, the back strap. We could work, make it work too. Um, you know, a nice vindaloo, you know, let, let's put some spices on it. Let it sit overnight, uh, sear it in a pan and make our little vindaloo off to the side with a little bit of tomato, um, some curry spices, some vinegar, and you know, some hot peppers, and then add that into the pan. And again, it's that low and slow heat to break down that connective tissue to really just turn it from a, you know, a tough, chewy cut into something that's going to melt in your mouth. But another one is, you know, if, if we're doing uh, on the, the, the Traeger, you know, Smoked anything is good. I like to cure everything just a little bit before I smoke it. So I'll do a, a basic blend. It's a, a two to one ratio of uh, demerara sugar, raw sugar to kosher salt. So all my fish, you know, even if I'm just doing it on a cedar plank, I'll sprinkle that on the night before, let it sit, kind of firm up the meat a little bit. Um, and then I can take the temperature lower, add a little bit of smoke to it. And, and it, it changes the texture completely. So, you know, something like that with a little bit of risotto, which risotto is intimidating to some people but you know call me up anytime it's fairly easy to make it work um and, and it's one of those meals that's going to really blow you away awesome you've inspired me and I, I may be reaching out and if you happen to be in victoria let me know and uh, you can come try some uh, dull sheep meat oh yeah no that's a dream that's a dream for sure well you, you know where to go to fulfill that dream yeah well, gotta yeah. Go to the stelters. Like, when, do I, when do i come to victoria next kyle you might you might regret the invite <laughs> <laughs> do you so you you have one one kid or i've got two two boys um so one is eight years old and the other is three turning four um and they were you know they're they're involved in pretty much every wild food adventure from mushroom picking to berry picking to you know going out and and finding licorice fern root, um, and then ultimately the hunting. You know, they they've both been you know from a very young age. It's just normal to them. They uh, and that's something that I can't say. A ton of children, especially when you think about these large cities, 
not a lot of kids understand the entirety or, you know, the, the, you know, gravity of the situation of what it takes to get from that animal to the meat that you buy at the grocery store wrapped in plastic on a piece of styrofoam. Yeah, how, how important was it to you and your wife bringing your children into your journey into the, the wild food? Well, for me, it just, it, it, it seemed natural, you know, from a very young age, I, my first memories of being in the outdoors or fishing with grandpa in Northern Saskatchewan and, you know, seeing that, you know, effort to reward, we would go out, you know, we would go spend hours on the lake. We'd come back with a bunch of Northern pike and uh, walleye, and then we would all eat, we would all feast. And that to me was some of those core memories that I really wanted them to be able to grow up. And I, I looked at when I lived in Vancouver, I taught kids cooking classes for a while with a program called Super Chefs. And, you know, we we would talk to the kids. Oh, who knows where your food comes from? Or where do tomatoes come from? Everyone, their hands went up, you know. Oh, Superstore, you know, Walmart. <laughs> so we took them to the UBC farm at one point, And these kids had never seen a tomato growing on a plant. It was so foreign to them that a, a tomato could be on a plant. It was out of place. So, you know, that was one thing that I thought, you know, wherever we raise our kids... At that point, you know, we were just talking about kids. But then when it became a reality, it was really important that, you know, they learned how to grow a garden. They're they're there learning how to take care of that. They're learning how to tie your hook on to catch a trout, how to then cook that trout after you've gutted it. And, you know, I wanted them to understand, too, that, you know, taking an animal's life is not easy. It's a necessary part of how we live our lives. Um, like for this bear on the wall behind me, I remember my three, almost four year old son. Um, you know, we, 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 I pulled the trigger and, uh, immediately like waves of emotion came over, which I'm not afraid to admit. Um, and you know, my son looks at me, he goes, dad, why, why are you sad? I thought this is what we came to do. And I was like, yeah, it is what we came to do, but it's not about the pull of the trigger. It's not about the fact that, you know, we, we, we pulled the trigger. Woohoo. Yeah. You know, we can have that celebration. It's not bad to have that celebration, but it's also okay to know that we just ended that animal's life. Um, so now it's my job and my commitment to do the best I can with that animal so that that life was not taken in vain so that we can cook it and we can make sure that that animal is respected every way through the process, which to me meant getting that hide off right away, making sure we get that meat cooling, not parading it around town and, you know, taking it to show four or five buddies. I was excited, but I knew that the first and foremost on a, at that point, it was the end of May in a heat wave, a 28 degree day. The only thing I cared about was getting that meat cool as fast as I could. And, you know, very overwhelming for a first time hunter alone. I'd never hunted with anybody before. So I had no, you know, mentorship um, in the, in the field. I had a couple buddies who had given me lots of advice, but, you know, it's that whole, you know, teaching him that, what we do to put that food on the table has an impact. Everything has an impact, whether you're farming, whether you're fishing, everything will have an impact. But if we can make sure that that impact that we have is minimal while also respecting the environment that it lives in, the animal itself, right from when it was alive all the way through to, you know, the last portion that we pull out of the freezer, it's, it's something that I believe, you know, will breed a lot of respect for him in the future and for the respect that he has for, you know, the outdoors. Yeah, it's a beautiful experience to share with your your son and you know both of your first times walking up to a dead animal and it's yeah it's something it's something to it's it's a tough emotion or I shouldn't even just say emotion a whirlwind of emotions to 
to express and share with others who haven't experienced it. Totally. So it's not, that's cool. That's uh that's something you'll remember for the rest of his life and will stick with you to the rest of your life as well. Oh, I, I, yeah, I really think so. And, you know, it's those kind of formative moments that, you know, whether he chooses to be a hunter when he's older or not, he'll at least know that, you know, this is where my food comes from. This is, you know, how, if I ever needed to, this is how I break down an animal from, you know, from a whole animal into the primal cuts. And that's something that I, I, at seven years old or eight years old myself, there was no way I was doing that. I was, you know, eating craft dinner and watching uh, Looney Tunes. So it's, uh, it's interesting to see just how much of a sponge he is in terms of taking this information in. Yeah. I got to create a, an addict. I've, it's, I've got a couple rolling around now. Uh, been a, taking my kids as, since they were infants into the woods and fishing and it's i don't know it's it's tough to beat that experience you can share it with family and friends but sharing it with your kids is a whole another level that i wish everyone gets to experience but oh absolutely yeah so do you you do the same with fishing with your children you you get them out there on the boat and out on the water and yeah, I get about maybe we do a lot of uh, trout fishing more than anything because you know we're 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 kind of happy that we have friends with boats versus having a boat ourselves at this point in life. Um, but uh, it's really cool that uh, you know that's something we look forward to. You know, every fall especially we don't get out as much in the summertime, but in the fall, you know, it's nice go have a campfire by the lake. You know, get the cast iron out and and just spend a whole day hanging out at the lake. You know him practicing his casting or, you know, tying, uh, different lures on and, and to be able to see him progress now to the point where, you know, he's comfortable, you know, cleaning the fish. And then he's got a method that he does where it's in the, in the cast iron and it comes out perfect every time. And, you know, if we've got one trout, I almost know for a fact, I'm not getting any, um, he's, he's very possessive <laughs> over it, uh, which is, you know, it's good. He's proud of what he, he's able to accomplish and proud that he can put that food on the plate. And I see a lot of myself in him. Uh, when it comes to, you know, that, that pride that he takes when he's, he's, you know, providing sustenance, even if it's just for himself at that point. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a skill to have. And, you know, it's, he's learning to hunt and fish from his old man and, you know, he's got a pretty good teacher for when it comes to cooking as well, I'd imagine. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I think what's been really cool about this journey, um, when you talk about a teacher, yeah, I can teach him how to cook anything. But in the beginning, we did a lot of learning together, um, like in terms of field dressing. I'd never field dressed an animal in my life. And it wasn't like I had someone to be like, hey, do you want to show me right here, right now? No amount of YouTube videos you watch can really prepare you for your first time field dressing a, you know, 300, 400 pound bear or whatever, whatever he weighed. With so, you know, it's one of those experiences where we've had a lot of firsts together, which is is really cool that we were able to learn together and you know, some trial and error, but ultimately we're, we're growing and we're, we're going through these experiences, you know, at, at parallel experiences at completely different ages. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> field dressing a, an animal for the first time is, you know, I, I grew up hunting and fishing. It was always something that I did, but that first time going out deer hunting alone and having to deal with the deer by myself, it was like, huh, that's, you know, I've watched this a, a lot, but this is different. <laughs> yeah, oh, it is different, yeah. Yeah, well, I can only imagine by yourself and, you know, 
you don't have uh, YouTube on hand while you're out in the bush trying to <laughs> sort out what to do, it could get interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, but it's, it's part of what like, makes us better hunters. And, you know, one thing that I always try to teach him is, you know, we strive for each hunt to be better than the last. Um, and I think that's an important way of, of looking at life in general, um, you know, in terms of, you know, how clean was our kill, how, you know, how clean was the field dressing process, how quick were we able to find that animal and locate it, how, how you know, and we always take a step back and I'll ask him after in a little debrief, well, you know, how do you think that went, buddy? Oh, it went, it went pretty good. You know, you know, we could have found him a little sooner, whatever, whatever the feedback is. Right. And, and to know that, you know, we don't want to, you know, ever be complacent when we're out in the outdoors hunting, you know, with, with, you know, firearms or, or, you know, bow and arrow, it's something that, you know, we've got to keep, you know, striving to be better and striving to be good. And I think that's a good way to look at life in general is, you know, us as a whole, as a hunting community, we're doing a really good job here in BC in particular. Um, and there's always ways that we can strive to, you know, whether it's education, having conversations like this, there's always ways that we can collectively improve and collectively, you know, try and convey that message to people who aren't hunters that, you know, we aren't these barbarians that they see us as. And, you know, we're just, you know, regular Joes trying to put good quality food on the table. Yeah, you you seem to be quite the ambassador when it comes to sharing that message. You know, if you follow your your Instagram, it's, that's honestly the only place I follow you, but <laughs> I didn't know of all the other things. But, you know, your Instagram is, it shows everything you can do in the outdoors. You're showing foraging, you're showing fishing, you're, you know, you're searching the beach for oysters, you're digging up clams, and, you know, it's, it's it's almost like you can point people just to your Instagram to be like, see, this is, this is what we're actually about. We're not, we're not, yeah, we're not the barbarians or the savages running around just shooting things and taking what we want. It's, it, there's a whole lot that goes into it and there's a story to tell and you do a, a great job of telling that story. No, well, I appreciate that, Greg. Thank you. Yeah. Try to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll take it this time. <laughs> So when you when you go out, uh, foraging, what do you what do you forage for the most? Because you're you're on Vancouver Island. There's some good that that the rainforest has some great foraging. You know, it's it's tough. It's tough to say because it's really seasonally dependent for me. Um, you know, I when the mushrooms aren't popping, I'm on the shoreline, and there's seaweed everywhere. There's so many edible things on that shoreline. Uh, you know multiple different varieties of seaweed there's sea asparagus you know you get into the oysters digging for clams you know it, it's really you, you take a few steps off of the rocks and there's urchin down there which is spectacular but we live in a special place where you can go and do that on a you know september november day and then you can go into the forest and start picking chanterelles you can go pick oyster mushrooms you can go hopefully find a pine mushroom um, so it's, it's really cool. And the, the amount of diversity that we have here, um, this summer spring before the bear hunt, we were looking for, uh, elderflowers to try and make some reductions, like some tinctures and, and try and extract some of that flavor. Uh, I love licorice fern root. It's, you know, pound for pound sweeter than sugarcane, uh, which is really interesting to try and take something that sweet naturally from that's growing on the side of the maple tree in a bunch of moss um but mushrooms i would say are are high on the list it's one of those in my opinion natural flavors that go so good 
with wild game, whether that be grouse or deer, or elk, bear, any of those. Um, and another one is any of the conifer trees around here. The conifer trees are a great source of flavor, especially in the springtime when you can get those fur tips, um, make some pickled fur tips. You know, I, I will make a mignonette, which is like a sauce for oysters with fur tips in there. And it brings that really cool story, which to me, I can tell through the dish where the, the forest meets the ocean and it's a really cool meshing of flavors. And it's got these neat citrusy flavors in it, a little bit sour, a little bit tart. Uh, and then there's the, the wonderful world of wild greens out here. You know, miner's lettuce, uh, sheep sorrel, plantain. Sheep sorrel is one of my favorite. Uh, it's got a really sour, almost like a sour keys, sour candy um, taste to it. And, you know, you'll find it. I, I find it growing on my front lawn, but you'll find it along logging roads. And that is just a natural pairing, again, for seafood. Some seared scallops with a little bit of sheep sorrel cut up on top. It, it's to die for. You know, it's got that sour, lovely taste, and it's just, just there is not a step you can take in the forest here. Maybe, maybe two steps, but you know, there's, there's not far that you can go without stepping over something that has, you know, high potential as a, a good edible food. Yeah, you know, it's uh, we live in an incredible place that's very diverse. We need to get the the Chef Jade Berg hunting hunting show through BC. We're going sheep hunting. What are we foraging? What are we eating? We're going deer hunting. What are we foraging? What are we eating? Yeah, I would, I would tune in. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's, tune in. that's definitely the dream one day. Um, you know, it, it was really cool experience last year going to meet up with uh, a couple of guys in the Kootenays and doing a bunch of mushroom foraging, going and getting a grouse. And then ultimately cooking that grouse over the fire and cooking a risotto over the fire by headlamp with the pine mushrooms and it literally, except for the rice, everything that was in that dish was from the woods around us, which to me was just such a cool testament. There's so many different unique areas in BC and you can take a lot of inspiration in those natural ingredients and you can have these cool regional flavor pockets of British Columbia. And, and really the opportunities are endless in terms of combinations and what we're cooking and it's a, it's a really cool way to further your connection because a lot of us hunters are already going out and, and we are connected. We know more about what's moving around in that landscape. We know more about, you know, the cycles that the forests are going through than a lot of other people. And then all of a sudden we're, we're taking all of that and we're going back to camp and we're, we're excited. We're, we're creating these cool dishes. It just strengthens that, that connection, which I, I crave. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I'm envious of it and I'm sure... A lot of our listeners right now are envious as well because I find I'm constantly, you know, walking through the woods, following deer tracks, and I kick up a mushroom, and I'm like, I ah, wonder if I can eat that. And then you keep going, and you see some berries. I wonder if I could eat that. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a, it's a definitely a skill I would love to acquire. But uh, one, and then all right now, I don't trust just a little bit of you know getting to getting comfortable with one one ingredient. And that's, that's the way I like to put it a lot is it's, if you look at it like a mountain, it becomes overwhelming. You're not going to want to climb that whole mountain, but if you look at it as baby steps, so, you know, getting a book from the bookstore, um, and flipping open, well, this year I'm going to make it my goal to identify say miner's lettuce and sheep sorrel. Great. You focus on those two things. Cause if you start looking at everything around you, you're going to get overwhelmed and go, ah, you know, I'm just going to focus on what I know. But once you get comfortable with those two things, it almost, you know, you build that confidence and then it becomes natural to, well, let's flip to the next section. Let's flip over some berries. You know, I got a lot of berries here. I've never picked them. 
and get comfortable with one berry. Because if you try to, you know, be the champion that's going to identify every berry in the woods, you're going to get something wrong. But if you can identify that huckleberry 10 out of 10 times, then it, it makes it easier. You're, you know, well, the same Vaxillium family. Well, there's blueberries, you know, there's, you know, we, we can start looking at all these other berries and build that confidence. And before you know it, you know, a couple of years have gone by and you're looking around going, huh, you know, I, I could eat way more in this forest than, uh, than I thought I could. And the cool thing about all of that is that the learning never ends. You know, I get to a point where I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty confident. And then I go out with somebody that I've never foraged with and they show me something that I never would have thought of eating. Uh, you know, and, and one example would be milk thistle root. I never would have thought of, of eating milk thistle root. You, you take it, you clean it up real good. You can kind of boil it uh, like a parsnip, puree it. Pff, amazing. Absolutely amazing. So it's one of these things that, you know, no matter how much you know, there's always something else to learn. So it's it's always kind of that same strive to, well, what's around the next corner? And, you know, you're never going to get to a point where you know it all. And if you do, well, where, where's the next region? Yeah, yeah, that's true. So you never stop learning. And it's a good way to approach life, too, is just never stop learning. And you'll yeah. enjoy more as you go. Absolutely. So where's... Uh, Where's the next adventure going to take you? Where, what's your next hunting or fishing plan? Where? Uh, so the next next one, um, hopefully before the end of the month um, or early September, get out off the west coast of Cayucat here and do some tuna fishing. Um, and that'll be the first for me. I've never never gone out and pursuing them. Um, spent a lot of time up in Cayucat area this year, which is about three hours northwest of Campbell River. Um, you drive an hour and a half by truck and then, or by highway and then an hour and a half on a logging road and you get to Fair Harbor and then take a boat. So it's nice and remote. Um, that'll be a cool adventure if that one comes together. But then the one that's for sure coming together is going to Texada Island and getting an early uh, deer hunt out of the way and a little bit of mushroom foraging. Uh, I'm actually praying for a little bit more rain here. We haven't had much this year. You know, get a couple of good days of rain in early September before that deer hunt and and the chanterelles will be popping up everywhere. And you know, as, as the, the year goes on, I'm going to be spending a couple of weeks in Germany um, cooking for the Canadian luge team. I go over last year was Latvia, this year Germany. Um, and I'm going to do some, you know, definitely do my best to get out for a couple of days with a local guy I know there and go and see what's available in the countryside there, which would be an experience altogether. Now, I got to, how do you get roped into to being the chef for the Canadian luge team? Like, how does, how does that come about? Seems like a, a rare one. Yeah, well, it's, it's definitely not something they had never had a chef before. Um, and I think a lot of, you know, the publicity around the chef versus wild, uh, when that came out, that one, that one really helped in terms of, you know, putting my name in front of people that maybe it wouldn't have come in front of. Um, but it just so happened that a uh, friend of mine that I went to elementary school with uh, works at Mount Royal and she helps with the culinary team or the culinary program there. Um, and she had a job come across her desk. They were looking for a chef for the national luge team. And um, the first person she thought of was me. She's like, oh, this is right up your alley. You know, you're, you're so personable. You love to travel. Why don't you interview with them? And I took one look at the dates and I went, oh, Norway. Oh, you know, Latvia. Oh, Germany. Yeah, yeah. well, sign me up, you know. And uh, now it's kind of turned into a bit of a trying to develop the program for them. So we, we can we can do a lot of learning as well, you know, uh, learn about the things that we're eating and whole foods and nutrition 
Uh, and then in that in turn, you know, it strengthens my ability to cook because I get the opportunity to go to markets that I never have a chance to in, in different countries in Europe and, and really get to know food from a different perspective uh, in these countries, which helps me become a better, better cook. So it was one of those opportunities that just kind of came across my desk randomly and very glad it did uh, and hopefully develop a program so these athletes can really focus on, you know, their their game instead of focusing on, well, what do I need to put in my body? If I can take that part of the equation out and take that off their plate, um, then, yeah, they, they can hopefully focus on getting up on that podium. Yeah, that's a, that's got to be a pretty cool and rewarding job, you know, you travel the world with these people you become family and that's yeah just when they're winning you're winning kind of deal i bet yeah yeah no it, it's pretty cool because then you know it, it's somewhere that i never imagined representing especially as a cook you know i never imagined being able to represent canada kind of on that stage or help support the athletes but when you're out there as the team and you're all wearing your team canada jackets you're like huh. I'm just a cook that was slanging burgers at one point in my life. And, you know, now we're, we're getting to the point where I get to travel and do these really cool things. And food is, again, one of those things that brings everybody together. So you see these athletes at the end of their hard day, instead of just getting takeout or whatever from the hotel and going up to their room. And we're all talking about the day, talking about strategy. We're all in the same room together. And it, it really makes a big difference uh, in terms of that sense of community and that sense of team. For sure. Now, do you do you find you know, as people get to know you when you're when you're meeting them out wherever you're at with the Luge team, I'm sure you meet all sorts of people, and they start finding out more about you and that you're a hunter. And do you get those awkward conversations that you got to kind of this is this is what we're about. It's not just out there killing and mm-hmm. you know do a, do us some justice abroad. Yeah, well, and one of those uh, opportunities came last year in Whistler. We got to talking a little bit um, just about life, and um, I had the opportunity to talk to them about about hunting in general. And the one guy, oh, you know, no hunters, you know, they're they're evil. They're you know, they're just out there, you know, pillaging. And so I said, you know what, you know, have you ever talked to a hunter? Have you ever had this opportunity to change, you know, to to change your perspective? And well, no, but yeah, so we started talking about my perspective and everything that I've talked about tonight about connection and, you know, why I do it, getting my kids involved and, and that self-sufficiency. But ultimately, you know, I can take a little bit of my dependency off of this factory farm food and put that, that onus on myself. And that was one thing where after a long conversation and a series of conversations, and we ended up watching those one campfire videos with the team. Uh, and for them to, you know, after he comes up to me and says, I, I never, ever would have thought that I agreed with hunting, but the more we talk and the more I watch these videos, the more I realized that I think I agree with hunting more than I, I, I really realized I did more so than going to superstore and buying my meat and said, you know, at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with that. Most of our world lives like that, but I never would have had this opportunity to have this conversation about an Olympian. And when they meet me, like, oh, I'm a private chef. I'm this high-end chef. And a lot of people think that, you know, fine dining is complete opposite of these people who are going out and hunting. And, you know, it it can be a mix of both. We, We can have, you know, the pursuit of excellence on a plate while also pursuing wild game and excellence in, in wild food. Well, being able to uh, use the one campfire to share your message, like you said, that's that's what that was designed for, intended for, and you're 
it sounds like you're doing a great job being an ambassador for it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was funny because I think it was the Romanian team. I can't remember one of the teams there. They they had a chef, and you know the 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 team Canada got to talking, and we were talking. Well, you know, I I hunt bears. Oh, really? You hunt bears? Oh, that's so cool. And yeah, I started you know showing some pictures, talking a lot about bear meat and how I like to prepare it. And um, they were they were really excited about that. Well, the next day, I guess uh, they were talking to the the other team um, from another country, and they said, "Oh, you know, we've got a chef." They said, "Oh, we've got a chef too." I said, "But he's terrified. He won't go outside. There's been raccoons on the porch." <laughs> and I go, "Yeah, well, our our chef he he likes to hunt bears. Oh, no way." And he said, "Yeah, and he cooks them too." So it was a a bit of a you know. Then I became I'd walking through, and you know the other teams. Oh, that's that's the chef that hunts. <laughs> and to the Europeans, <laughs> it was like, oh, so that's something to be celebrated. Where you know in North America, in particular, we're very differently. I don't know. I don't know if it's our upbringing or if it's what we see in the media. But we're we're more positioned to not have that understanding or not have that you know excitement when it comes to hunting and foraging and fishing. Yeah, def definitely. That's uh, it's we we get treated a little bit differently, depending on who you're talking to, for sure. That the hunting community is it's all over the map, man. <laughs> it's yeah. how we get, how we get seen. But uh, I want to dive into something. You know, you mentioned the Texada Island going blacktail hunting. You got a nice looking blacktail on the back corner there behind you. Um, organ meat. Yes. I want to know a good organ meat recipe while I'm sitting at the campfire. One of those ones, you know, you don't, it's always something, I should say it's always something that gets left behind, but there's, you know, the organs are always looked, are looked past quite a bit. Yeah. And I know you, Jeff, just talking to you now and following your Instagram and you're not a guy that's going to leave the organ meat behind. No. So I, I want to know a good blacktail organ meat recipe. Well, yeah, I've got a couple, but one that, you know, it's a quasi organ. Uh, the heart is, is it's a, it's our first meal. Um, and it's a really simple way to do something so tasty. Um, but again, it's something that some hunters don't even look at as, you know, they just cut the guts all out and throw it off in a pile. But one of my favorites, uh, which we did last year was skewers. I always keep a few bamboo skewers or make a few skewers out of a piece of wood, you know, a stick that you that whittle down. And um, so I'll take the heart and we'll clean the heart. So we'll take, you know, kind of almost core it and, and work around the outside. And you can see and separate the chambers at that point. Um, and once you get some of that silver skin off, now we don't need to trim it down to nothing. You know, a little bit of toothiness to it isn't a bad thing. And then I'll throw it in a marinade, you know, while I'm getting everything else going. And I marinade can be as simple as, you know, a little bottle of teriyaki sauce you have. I have a soy and wild ginger glaze that I like to do. So I've made a nice uh, simple syrup with wild ginger. Um, and then that uh, that wild ginger I then, you know, reduce down with a little bit of a, a soy. So it's very similar to teriyaki. Um, but I'll cube up the heart and then I'll throw it in that marinade and just let it hang out until the next day. Um, and then put those, uh, little chunks of deer on a skewer and then we'll throw that right over the fire, you know, have the grate, get it down to coals, burn it down, get it nice and hot, even heat distribution, and then grill it on each side until you get to almost medium rare. You know, I, I like to get to about medium rare with the heart, um, nothing more because then it can start to get chewy and then take it off, let it sit and just to finish a sprinkle of sea salt on top. And it's, 
it's second to none. It's one of those really, really easy ones. Um, and then, you know, you think about the liver. Let's take the liver. Let's soak it. Some guys like to soak it in a little salt water. That can help bring a little of that irony flavor out. And, and I'll do the same thing, but with maybe a cast iron. And I'll just sear it on each side or like last year, year before. We did it um, on skewers just over the fire as well. Just simple salt and pepper. Didn't need anything else. Super delicious. Um, it's really two of those items that you can easily make. Anybody can, you know, cut up a heart into cubes and stick it on a stick and cook it over the fire. And and really, it's it's about, like you said, not wasting any of it. And a lot of it can get wasted. Let's see. We can talk about the call fat. Take the call fat off around the stomach. And, and wrap other meat in that and oh man you know you got a little bit of ground meat or you don't even need the ground meat you could wrap it around a steak and grill that steak and you could have a lot more of that flavor a lot more of that juiciness coming through and to me half of it is the excitement of utilizing another part of that animal one i haven't tried yet which uh you know maybe we'll get to one day is the prairie oysters or I don't know what you call them on the <laughs> deer. I know a buddy who has, and you know, he said it was, it was pretty tasty, but I, I haven't quite brought myself to that one yet. How does an Alberta boy not have uh, prairie oysters under his belt? What's going on here? Okay, well, I've had prairie oysters, but it's just not off a of deer. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know what you call the them. Next the bush oysters. I don't know. <laughs> Right on. Uh, so, what's the dream hunt? What is Chef Jade Berg's dream hunt? Ooh, that is that is a real tough one because I've got a couple of them. Like I said, I've only really hunted on the island or in the coastal area here. Aside from shooting a grouse in the Kootenays, you know, it, it'd be a toss-up between, you know, some sort of sheep hunt. Like, that is really high up there for me. You know, the idea of going out and obviously getting a little bit of this fat trimmed off of me before I get on that. Um, but going up there and and just being up in the alpine, up as far above the alpine, you know, just going up into the clouds in pursuit of these animals that, you know, how, in my mind, how often are you going to get that opportunity to get in front of a legal ram? It's, it's kind of like a unicorn, chasing a unicorn, which I think would be so cool. Um, and I see, you know, that, that to me would be really cool because I, I really love the idea of what the wild sheep society in BC does. I loved watching the video, uh, transmission that, uh, filter studios did. It was, it was powerful and it really brought a lot of issues to light in my mind that I didn't realize, uh, were happening right in, in our backyard. Um, and so to be able to go out and, you know, contribute to conservation as well as understand an animal that the regular Joe doesn't have that deep understanding of would be really, really cool. And another one would be, you know, somewhere up in the, you know, northern BC, whether it's a moose or a bison, a big animal um, would be so cool. Because like the blacktail deer on this island, I, I was lucky enough to get a decent one last year, but they're not big. They're, they're, they're small bodied deer especially when we go to Texada. So to, to get something that big and know that my family's taken care of, uh, that would be that would be an ultimate dream. And it'd just be a totally different style hunt. You know, we don't call in these black tailed deer. I don't do a lot of calling. You got you can, I don't do a lot. It's more spot and stock. So to, to be able to, whether it's a moose or even an elk, have that responsiveness to be able to, to blow on a bugle and have an elk bugle back would be just, you know, goosebump worthy. 
So, you know, I know you asked for the dream hunt, and I think I gave you about four there. Hey, that's that sounds like the BC dream. I'm, <laughs> I'm all for it. Everything you just said, I love. You get in the calling battle with an elk or a moose. Those are experiences you like bone chilling. Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, that's, that's know, the, one the of the noise of an elk bugling, which I don't hear often on the island. You know, maybe I'm just not out at the right time, but the times that I have, it has made the hair on the back of my neck stand up and it has just solidified that that, you know, if I'm ever lucky enough to get an LEH draw, that that will be, you know, one of the best hunts I've ever been on. Yeah. No, if you can get out there and get, get into that battle with an elk, even if it's in the middle of the night while you're not hunting yeah. and it's answering back that growl, the roar right before the, the bugle is, <laughs> I don't know. That makes the hair stand on the back of my neck. Just talking about it, thinking of experiences. Hey, I was going to say, have you, have you had that old, experience man. then? More, more than once, but I've never actually shot a big bull, but the, the bugling back and forth in the dark is. Yeah. Well, and again, it'll, it'll, it'll get you every the, time. it doesn't have to always end in success for it to be a successful hunt. Those memories yeah. are solidified in your brain and you didn't come home with a big bull elk. And, and that's half Absolutely. of it. Like going out there and just being out there is, is success and being a part of that experience. It doesn't always have to end with an animal on the ground. Yeah, exactly. And sharing the experience with someone as well as, you know, we try to burn it into our children and get them out there and you're doing the same. And I love to see it. I love to follow along. Yeah. So yeah, right on. I think that's about it for our time. So where, where do we, I know we kind of touched base on it before, but where do we find chef Jade Berg? How do we follow you? Where do we learn more about you? Yeah, we'll pop over to Instagram. Uh, Instagram is is where I do most of my posting. I do have a, a page on Facebook that's Chef Jade Berg, but on Instagram, it's it's a simple Chef underscore Jade underscore Berg, um, and that's where you know you'll follow along on my my daily or weekly adventures, depending on how often I get to posting. Um, and you know, if you go to the One Campfire Instagram, I always you know really love to support them as well. What they do is great. So if we're able to go over there and, and find some of the stuff that uh, that I'm doing there, I always like to post and direct people back to them because I really believe in that initiative. And, you know, again, on my website, uh, www.wildislecooking.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you for taking time out of your evening. And, uh, yeah, it's a great chatting to you and looking forward to meeting you maybe hitting the mountains with you one day. That'd be great. I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. I, I love chatting with you and uh, look forward to the the sheep tasting one day, Kyle, and look forward to the mountain meetup, Greg. Awesome. We're going to throw you a curveball here. And uh, we've got our um, uh, Salute to Conservation Penticton in February, and it'd be great to feature a chef there. So going to throw that one out for you and, and give you some thoughts uh, thoughts on that. It'd be great to do something with you up there. So give that some thought and it'd be, uh, be pretty cool to do some sort of uh, seminar or something like that at our event. Love to have you up. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. It'd be really cool to, to be able to, to reach some of the people that are there and, and inspire them and to talk about food, even cook up a little bit of food, depending on, you know, what the scenario goes like. And one thing I've always thought about, which who knows if it's going to be a benefit to you guys would be, you know, auctioning off some sort of dinner experience and to raise funds for the Wild Sheep Society, something where, you know, we, we can bring some cool people and do a cool campfire experience, whatever that is. But, uh, you know, I'd love to, to contribute in, in a way. 
Uh, we appreciate that, man. And we appreciate all the support you've given us through one campfire and, and just, you know, as an ambassador for the hunting community, right? You're, you know, you're reaching those corners that we can never do that. And, uh, you do a fantastic job. And, you know, as we know, the strongest connection to wildlife for most non-hunters is the food aspect of it. And that's the story we need to tell. And man, oh man, do you do a great job of that? So thank you, Jade. Appreciate it. Well, thank you guys. Yeah, it's been a pleasure and look forward to the next time. Awesome. We got to sit down and share some food. I want to break some bread with you one day, buddy. I want to taste your, taste your vittles. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make that happen sooner than later. Awesome. All right.